Well, we've been considering, when it's been me, some of the time, uh, these early psalms, really from Psalm 3 to Psalm 7, psalms where David is in trouble of various sorts. And we've certainly seen in Psalms 3, 4 and 5 that he is being attacked by his enemies. They're probably uh, psalms that he composed while uh, Saul uh, was chasing him around before he actually was uh, not, uh, enthroned as king. And it wasn't just Saul, there were the Philistines as well. And he keeps crying out in faith to the Lord in his distress and his trials, but crying out in faith. <clears throat> when we come to Psalm 6, a new element enters. I'm going to read that psalm, and I thought I'd say that first so we can see this new element at the beginning. To the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Now there's an interesting progression in this psalm. David begins with his soul troubles, uh, which are clearly because of his sin. We don't know what sin. And then he gets to a point where he builds up the arguments for why the, he wants the Lord to deliver him. And when he gets to my enemies, because of my enemies, then he finds the Lord answers. And the last three verses are a, 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 a paean of praise. Now, this isn't the only place, is it, uh, where we have uh, David about his enemies in a way. Psalm 5 and verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies. The, uh, where the fact that he has these enemies who are God's enemies, and that's why they're his enemies, is a reason for the Lord to answer. And, and that's what he pleads again here. We've got to get to that, but it's, we need to see it in this way. Four sections then. First of all, David's cry, the first part of David's cry, in verses 1 to 3. He cries to the Lord, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, verse 1, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. He cries to the Lord who is disciplining him. He has nowhere else to go, doesn't he? He can't say the Lord is disciplining me, I will go to someone else because there's no one else to go to and of course nor for us either. Uh, but as a child of God we go to God uh, for relief even when it's the Lord who is bringing the trouble in our soul because of our sin. So he's going in faith. It's interesting these words rebuke and chasten uh, they're the same words uh, in, in Hebrew, uh, in Proverbs 3, where in verses 11 and 12, we read, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, 
nor detest his correction, that would be the equivalent to the word rebuke here, uh, for the, whom the Lord loves, he corrects uh, just as a father the son in whom he delights. And of course that's taken up in the New Testament, uh, in Hebrews 12, and quoted. So it's, it's saying, isn't it, don't despise, that, that verse is saying, don't despise what God does in our souls in rebuking and disciplining and chastening us because of our sin. If David and we are going, are looking at the Lord in faith, faith will say it is because of the Lord's love to us. That's what is taken up, isn't it, in Proverbs and in Hebrews. But nevertheless, David asked the Lord to temper what he is doing. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I, I understand you have to do this, but please don't just pour out your anger upon me. He, he, it's a cry for mercy. It's a cry for the Lord's restraint. And he goes on in verse 2, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. He doesn't deny the righteousness of the Lord's discipline. We don't know what it was he done, but we know that he evidently feels it's right that the Lord is disciplining him. But he pleads for mercy. He is saying, have mercy on me, Lord. Why? For I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Uh, the, the idea of weak there is the idea of a languishing uh, plant, a plant that's drooping because it's withered. Uh, that's the kind of picture he's saying, I'm like a withered plant. And he says that his trouble, his soul trouble, uh, is actually troubles his bones as well. It weakens his body. Now, we can know many cases, can't we, of ourselves or others, where people under the conviction of sin... Uh, before they, be, when the Lord is working in, a, in someone's soul to bring them to Christ, that they they can really ha- be 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 ill because of the, their their soul trouble and they can't find rest with God. But here is a Christian, so it can happen, or a believer, it can happen to us too. It can happen that the Lord so afflicts us in our souls that it affects our bodies also. We we are one being, aren't we? And so David says, this is the problem, (laughs) my bones are troubled. But And he's going to go on in verses 6 and 7 to say more of this uh, physical aspect. But he turns also, my soul also is greatly troubled. Above all, it's his soul. The, The root problem is the Lord's felt anger. He's not only saying, Lord, heal my body, but he's saying that's because of my soul trouble that I have the body trouble. Therefore, Lord, uh, my soul is troubled. And he cries out, how long? Which is, again, a a phrase that's used often in different contexts in the scripture. Uh, But he's seeking, isn't he, I think, therefore, when he goes from his bones then to his soul, he, he is seeking mercy before healing. He's seeking the Lord to, to give him mercy in his soul because he knows that will solve the problem in his body. And so he cries, how long? Which again is faith, isn't it? Because he believes there is a how long. He believes that the Lord does have his appointed time for relief, which David doesn't know. 
so it's how long, but he's expecting the Lord to intervene. Now, I don't want to get into the whole difficult subject of the when, how do we know, uh, at least of anybody else, that any illness is because of sin? We, I think there are two positions which are clearly wrong at opposite extremes. One is, as some would teach, if you're ill it's because you've sinned. And at the other end it is, there is never any connection whatsoever. Because we know that Paul says to the Corinthians, who are abusing the Lord's Supper, uh, this is why some of you are weak and sick and some have fallen asleep. So they're Christians, but they've actually died uh, under the Lord's discipline for uh, their sin, bodily problem. I, I, I don't want to go into all that because that would be something I just, well, no one I think is competent to answer for anybody else, really. Uh, but that brings it back to ourselves to say it is possible that you have a sin which you hang on to and that you do not repent of uh, and it and is unconfessed to the Lord and it can it might be a serious sin and it would eat away at your soul and so much that you you know you've got to go to God with it but you don't and it's that tension that brings the bodily trouble. And of course the only answer is to go and repent and confess to the Lord. And David is of course approaching the Lord here. He, he in, in God's wisdom, we are not told exactly what he's done. But he is approaching the Lord and that leads to David's cry in verse, part 2 in verses 4 and 5. Return, O Lord, or just turn really, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. We are used to repentance, and that repentance means turning. It means turning around and going in the opposite direction. But here is David asking the Lord to turn in his relationship. He's saying, Lord, you are attacking me. Please turn around the other way and deliver me. Be on my side rather than against me. But again, notice why he asked this, O oh Lord, save me for your mercy's sake. The Hebrew word is the word for covenant love. That's what he's pleading here. It's not the word for same word as the word for mercy there in verse 2. It's your mercy is plural. It's covenant love. He's pleading the Lord's sovereign, unchanging love to him. He's pleading, in fact, what the Lord told people to plead. Because in Exodus 34... When Moses wants to see the glory of the Lord and is told he can't, but the Lord says, I will show you my goodness, he says, uh, he proclaims his own name, Exodus 34 verse 6, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy. But that's this word again, covenant love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In other words, David is saying, that's what you're like, Lord. So please be like that to me. And not only that's what you're like, that's what you have told us that you are like. That is how you have defined yourself. And that is what we can seek from you. And that is why he could plead for salvation, deliverance, verse 4, salvation for the Lord's mercy, verse 2. 
And he looks at himself and he needs this. He said that already, how long, hasn't he? Return, O Lord, take it together. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. And then he brings in this argument. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? What is he saying? He's simply saying this. He, he knows he can't go on as he is. He can foresee that his illness could end in death. And he's saying, well then, <laughs> Lord, if you put me to death, who can, I can't then, can I testify of your love and your mercy? Uh, save me, deliver me, and then I, so the implication is, uh, then I will. Then I will remember you, I will declare you, I will give you thanks, I will tell everyone of what the Lord has done for me. It's not a bargaining, is it? But it's saying to the Lord, if I die, people will just look and say, oh, you see, well, he was supposed to be the Lord's anointed, and what happened? The Lord cast him off. He's saying, no, deliver me, and I will tell everyone what you've done. And when we get down to verse 8, we find he did, so he kept his promise, if we can say that's what it was, the implied promise. And I think we can use this argument in prayer for the restoration of our souls, and of our bodies particularly, and let's not go beyond the word, uh, our bodies, if, if they are being affected by our soul trouble and our soul rebellion, which they were in David's case. If the soul is ill, it might not be because of sin, but we, we can still say, can't we, Lord, if you restore my soul, which he said, we testify in happier times that he does, Psalm 23, we can testify, look what the Lord has done for my soul. And I think that is so important, isn't it? We can have troubles in our souls. I'm not now talking about because of sin, though it might be, but I'm, I'm talking more generally. We can have troubles in our soul, and rightly, or wrongly, but rightly, we, it can be rightly, we, we can feel that we shouldn't be sharing them with particular people. It's too sensitive. They wouldn't understand. We might share them with someone, but we might not share them with others. Uh, we, we have, in wisdom, to sort of pick and choose. Who do I share my soul troubles with? Who can help me? Who will understand? Who will sympathise? Who will pray? Who will not condemn me? Uh, and that kind of argument. But when... So that's right. So there's a restriction. But when the Lord has dealt with our troubles... <laughs> and this is a marvellous and complete transformation that comes about here, then again we have to ask the question, who should I tell? And though we might not want to tell all the details of what was wrong with us, but I think the answer to the question, who do I tell the Lord has delivered me, is should be wider than the answer to the question, who did I tell about the troubles in the first place? And there is a place, I'm sure, in churches for, for people doing this. Talking to some people, I can't remember who it was, out the back there a few weeks ago, a little group, we just got onto it, talking about the experience meeting. Who here, who, mostly happened in Wales, who's, who's heard of the experience meeting? Right, okay. <laughs> right, I'll explain then. Well, it was in the times of revival and people would stand up, they'd have a meeting each week and people would just, it started as a prayer meeting, but people would stand up and declare how the Lord had saved them and it went on like that and that was good 
And it went on through the times of revival and people would declare what the Lord had done for their soul. It was a testimony meeting. Now, there were great dangers in, in that happening as a, becoming a set routine thing because, well, you can imagine the, the problems that it can cause. Um, but in the right times, it, it can be right. And certainly, I'm, we're talking here about an individual. There must be a place in church life for someone to be able to stand up and say, I just want to tell you what the Lord has done in my great troubles and delivered me. And there must be a place for telling other believers whether you can do that to everyone or not. Let's move on. David's extremity of anguish, verses 6 and 7. I am weary with my groaning. Some of this sounds like Job, doesn't it? Job suffered terribly physically. We know it wasn't because of his sin, though his friends thought it was. But... You see, it doesn't really matter the cause. It comes out the same, doesn't it? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. That's a graphic picture, isn't it? I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. In Psalm 3, David had confidence in God. Though there are outward enemies... And he had great visible trouble, yet there's none of this weeping. Here, there's no trouble particularly visible to others. At least certainly his enemies are not what he speaks of first. This is an internal trouble, and yet here, his sorrow is so great that it affects his health. And there's a lesson there again, isn't it? We might be able to stand up and say... There are people coming against me in all sorts, causing me all sorts of outward grief, but with the Lord I will, I will stand firm, and we do, uh, hopefully. And then, but, but this is the Lord acting in the soul. And David is defenceless. And he's weary with his groaning, and his bed is swimming, his couch is drenched, his eye is wasting away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Then he gets to the enemies. The enemies who kick David when he's down. The enemies who are going to attack him when he's too spiritually weak to deal with them. When he doesn't feel how he can say, I will stand up against them. When he's he's so overwhelmed with his soul trouble that, that he's helpless before his enemies. Now it may be that God brings us low enough if we, if, if we need to be brought that low because of sin, that our soul anguish can't be hidden from other people in its effects. And that's certainly what's happening here. And we know that the world will have all sorts of reasons for, for hating us, but one thing, but they will gloat over us if they can. And one thing will be if we are so down, that they can say, well, you see, he said, trusted in God. What's God done for him? Uh, and why is he so miserable? Uh, and where's David is looking at his enemies and he's saying, Lord, what are my enemies going to make of this? And so he cries out to the Lord. I mean, you can learn from this, I think, can't we? You certainly have to beware the stiff upper lip. Uh, and that it's right uh, to, to cry under disaster and under sorrow and distress 
But he's saying, isn't he? When he brings his enemies in, and he's saying, what are my enemies going to make of my situation? And that's where the Lord answers. Let's look at the Lord's answer. Verses 8 to 10, the last point. Depart from me. There's often, isn't it, in the Psalms, you find that the psalmist, not only David, um, there's a sudden transition. The, The greatest is Psalm 22, isn't it, where halfway through a verse which is prophesying the the crucifixion of Christ, suddenly you get that amazing change which comes about where it suddenly says in in the New King James, it just simply says, verse 21 of Psalm 22, he's saying, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. It changes around 100%. And so it is here. It's very sudden. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Suddenly, he's saying, you can go away, my enemies, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. This is where the Lord acted. Now, it's worth noticing this, isn't it? Where does the Lord answer? Because when David uses this argument, the argument that the weakness of his soul, which is so evident that it's affecting his body, his whole life, his ability to rule, to do God's work, to do his duty, to stand up for God, that when his affliction of soul and body gets so that it becomes evident that he just can't do what he's meant to be doing, that that's when he uses this plea and the Lord steps in and answers him. Lest he is brought to disgrace before his enemies, which would mean Effectively, isn't it, the Lord is being brought to disgrace before his enemies. It's interesting that word, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, because the Lord Jesus Christ, in, there it is in Matthew 7 and verse 23, says he would declare to those who say, Lord, Lord, but don't do his Father's will. Uh, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's it's very similar phraseology. David is saying, the Lord has intervened. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. The Lord has, has come in and spoken peace into David's soul. In Psalm 30 and verse 5, uh, you have uh, these words. Uh, For his anger is but for a moment, his favour is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And of course, we're not meant to say that anything we have to weep over is only going to last 12 hours. That's that's not how you read Hebrew poetry. But it's it's saying that, that in the end the Lord comes in. And this is the answer needed. And he says to his enemies, verse 10, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. The enemies are suddenly brought to shame. Again, Psalm 3 and verse 2, many are they who say of me there is no help for him in God. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. They're saying God can't help him. And he says, effectively, you come in and struck them on the mouth. And notice another parallel in this psalm. David says in verse 3, My soul also is greatly troubled. And here he says, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. 
It is, isn't it? The, the Lord has entered and suddenly, instead of him being troubled in his soul, he's saying, that's what's going to happen to my enemies. He's able again to function as king. We're not kings, but that, that, this is what you see in his life, isn't it? Suddenly, he is able to take on his enemies again because his soul has been healed. And that is the argument. And there are other arguments, as we've seen here, who, who can uh, give you thanks in the grave um, uh, and others. But here is the argument. Lord, I need you to, to heal me in my soul that I might be strong, as the hymn writer says, strong and brave to face the foe, that I might be strong for you outwardly and that I might play my part in standing up for you. An argument we can use then, a cry for the restoration of the soul and the body so we can do our duty for the Lord. How rarely do we hear the word duty these days? In any context. Certainly should hear it in a Christian context. We ought to do our duty for God. We ought to do what is right for God. And therefore he says, and we can say, Lord, heal me so that I can do my duty and my enemies are confounded and you, Lord, are glorified. In other words, ultimately it is a prayer from the motive of the glory of God. Because our enemies in this context, uh, and David's context, but ours in this way, we're looking at it, our enemies are the Lord's enemies. And so if we have soul trouble, cry if you have soul trouble, Cry out to God, Lord, heal me and strengthen me for the sake of my testimony. Testimony to God's people, testimony in front of my enemies. And that is a right thing to pray. It's not the only motive we're given. This is one psalm out of 150, not that they all deal with this problem. But it's a a valid argument because it's hearing God's word. So we need to heed it.